All right. So we're here with Parker Wendell, right? Yep. Par here with Parker Wendell in uh, Paris, France. Actually, what? Rue Malmaison. Say that again? Rue Malmaison is the name of the town. But... Rue Malmaison. But yeah, in the Paris suburbs. All right. And uh, first of all, I'm just curious. Um, well, first, okay. Yeah, I got to tell this story. So normally, one of the big perks of being in Europe and not being in the States is that you get away from obnoxious Alabama fans. <laughs> but um, what was uh, one of the phrases that I heard the first Sunday we came to your church? Roll Tide. Oh, my dear goodness. <laughs> I've trained all my French people to say it, so... So we're, we're working through that. I'm all about spreading propaganda. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of unity in the gospel, but um, we're having to work through this right now. Yeah, so. fair enough. So, pastors, the appropriate the, division between us. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's needed sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So, Parker's the pastor of Emmanuel International Church um, here in this area, and. We're going to get to some, some thoughts about the church in France as well as what you do specifically at your church. But first, I just want to know a little bit about um, life as an expat from America. So you grew up in Georgia. Right? Alabama. Alabama. Excuse me. Um, did you live in Georgia ever? No. No, you just thought we lived in Georgia. I talked to someone from Georgia today Once. and I got it mixed up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the whole old thing. I think well, you can be a fan without living there. Yeah. Anyway, so so Parker grew up in Alabama, and I'm just curious to hear you share a little bit about what life was like where you grew up, and how that you know made the transition difficult, easy, what it was like when you actually came here. Um, yeah, so I'm from a really small town, kind of west of Tuscaloosa, and so um, Carrollton is the name of it. So it's. Uh, for me, when I came here, it, the biggest difference was not like America to France as much as it was small town to big city. Yeah. And so, in in that way, like, and, and even even if I was in a rural place in France, I think I would still have the same sort of reaction because it's, you know, Paris is more, living in Paris is more like living in New York mm. than it would be like living in rural France. Right, you, you know, and so um, there's a certain sort of city lifestyle that I had to adjust to, um, but I enjoyed. I, I, I like sort of the way of life in the city. I like the, I like public transports and a nice nice walks around town, yeah. and I like diverse cultures, and mm. and so I found all of that here. So that that was probably the biggest change for me though, because that's certainly not what I came from. Okay, what was the biggest surprise when you got here? What did you find to be more different than you expected? Uh, well, I didn't. I, I guess I didn't come in with a lot of expectations. Um, and you know, a lot of people when you think of Paris, they get these really romantic ideas about the city, the you know, the city of love and all the history here. But I didn't kind of come into it with that. Like I, it was just another place to me. Yeah. And so. I guess when I came, I was surprised at how much I liked it. Okay. Like, I really did fall in love with the city. Like, it, it was everything it was made out to be before, and more to me. Because, I, again, I didn't come in with this sort of big view of it. And so when I when I came here, I mean, I'm a little bit of a history buff, and, mm -hmm. I, and I, I love how 
I love the personality of the CD. And so, again, I may be different than the typical expat who answers that question. But for me, I was surprised at how much I liked it. Okay. Like, I, I... I mean, I guess I've always been the kind of person that's able to find the good wherever he lives. Sure. But it was it was magnified here. Like I, I really love this city, and <laughs> like I don't know, I I I don't have a plan, nor do I want to leave. And may I may do it one day, but I, I really do feel like I'm a Parisian now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really interesting, yeah. actually, that you say that because you know, we've we've been here two and a half weeks, um, and that's really been our experience too. Yeah. Yeah. That um, in many ways, I think we would have always said we're not city people. Uh, we don't enjoy big cities, um, <laughs> but we found this city to be far different from most other big cities. It has a city. charm to it. It, it, really does. Does. it does. Yeah, yeah. And it, it very much feels like a collection of neighborhoods that yes. it, that it truly is. Yes. Yeah, actually, in the way it's set yeah. up. So, well, this this town good. that we're in right now, it, you know, it feels like a French village. You know, you don't realize that there's a huge metropolitan area. <laughs> you know, a bus right away. Right, right, right. But it's, um, but yeah, when you're just walking around this area, you can actually, there's lots of parks. Hmm. So, you know, if you, you can go to places and feel like you're in the woods, you yeah. know. That's amazing. So, yeah. Wow. So, just tell us a little bit about, you know, what your background was like, um, where you grew up, what your family life was like, yeah. um, to kind of a little bit of background prior to you coming here. Right. Um, so my, I have a Christian family. I was raised in church. My uh, my dad's a football coach. Okay. Um, and my mom's a librarian, English teacher. Um, so I, I grew up sort of in the school where my parents taught, you know, so that was always the, going on. One thing that was a little bit unique about me, I had, I grew up with a lot of health problems. And so I spent times in the hospital. You know, I had a very, I, I had severe eczema, so it was a very visual problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I, I grew up kind of dealing with that. And really, when I got into junior high, um, I sort of experienced a healing. Like I mean, it, I, 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 I fall short of saying like it was miraculous. It wasn't like someone touched me and my skin was clear. Like it came through medical means, mm-hmm. but, but it was a, it was a miraculous thing for me. And I, I, there's, I, I saw God's sovereignty in the whole thing. And, um, and so that really impact, I was already a Christian, but that sort of impacted the way I viewed a lot of things as a child, even, uh, how my views about suffering, my views mm-hmm. about, sickness and illness and God's plan yeah you know we're impacted by that um but I in in high school I kind of went through a rebellious stage after that because after I no longer had the sickness I sort of had a newfound popularity and Mm. and there are different temptations (laughs) you you know they they come along with that and so um but my scene you know when I got up into high school I I had a life-changing time at youth youth camp and um Ended up uh, surrendering into ministry, mm. uh, vocational ministry, when I was a senior in high school. Okay. And then I uh, went to university to to do a religion degree to cha- train wow. for that. I actually played college basketball at the place I went and kind of got into the school through that. And then but God used it to make me fall in love with God's Word and to get a heart for the nations. Um, and then, then I went to seminary mm-hmm. um, after that. And then I signed up for... A two-year mission term in in Paris. Wow. 
Um, Paris was, again, like I mentioned, it wasn't a romantic idea. It just happened to be... I picked Paris only because of the job, not because of the place. Okay, yeah. It was a good fit job-wise. And so um, I did that for three years. We planted a church for people from India. Um, And then when I went home, I I loved Paris, like I mentioned, but I I didn't really love the missionary lifestyle. And so it became the perfect fit for me when the church called me um, to, to be their youth pastor and then now I've become the pastor, so I, I feel like I've really found a good a good place now. So, okay. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your church, Emmanuel International Church. Uh, we've we've gone two Sundays, and um, we were immediately struck when we entered because it just looked different than most churches we'd ever been to. <laughs> and I don't mean um, the building itself. So yeah. so tell me a little bit about how you would describe your church. Well, um, the, I mean, the obvious word is diverse. Uh, we we can have forty different countries on an average Sunday. Like, I mean, it is that's not a rare thing. Um, it's people f- from all over the world, and it, I guess it's sort of the exciting thing because in a place like Paris, you always have tourists, you always have new people moving here, and so on any given Sunday, any you know someone from anywhere could walk in the door, mm-hmm. you know, and so and you sort of expect things like that yeah. to happen. And so that's it's an exciting place to be. Um, so, but it has its challenges because there's always people coming in, but there's always people leaving. A lot of times, there's people here for short term, and so um, you become this kind of transient community. Mm. Um, and we, it's interesting because we sort of it almost works like a university would in some ways, and how you you go to university and you're there for four years and you graduate and. Huh. You, you, you have your friends from that university and you have your memories from that university, but you move on afterwards. Well, there's people all over the world right now who've done that here. Wow. You know, and so we, the Emmanuel International Church has has been a place of refuge in Paris for 50 years. Wow. You know, and, and so there's, when we need things, when we need to, we're having low budget numbers or we have to fix something in the building, we have an alumni base, <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that comes to our rescue a lot of times. And so, um, which has been needed, you know, at the, at the beginning, this church, uh, it was started by the American military, a lot of American expats, a lot more wealthy people. But today, you know, you've seen the church and it's, yeah. it's, 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 there's a lot more poor people now. Um, it's you know it's and so it's about the same numbers, but the it, the sort of the economic situation is very different. And so we, um, but we're able to be that. Like we're able to. God's just put this put us in this situation, and it, it's exciting. So, um, and I guess the challenge for us is because there's not that many English speaking churches. Um, we get people from many different sort of denominational backgrounds and right. theological backgrounds as well. And so there's there's a few sort of like high church, English-speaking churches, Catholic, Anglican, or uh, Episcopalian churches. And then on the other side, there's, you know, there's several, um, you know, sort of charismatic churches, mm-hmm. that kind of tradition. But in terms of like a mainstream evangelical church, there's not many options other than us. You know, and, and so we we really we're really serious about that's our idea. We're we're a Baptist church, but uh, more than that, we're evangelical. Okay. We believe the Bible is the word of God. 
we believe that we're supposed to be sharing our faith with others. And so while we're Baptist, we uh, I'm a Baptist, we, we have many people from other evangelical groups who come to us because they hear the gospel and, right. and, and, and they, they can relate even if they disagree on infant baptism or, you know, different views of the Lord's Supper or church government or whatever. Uh, there's a community that, that believes the gospel, believes it transforms lives, and believes that it unites us. And so that's, that's what, we, what we aim at being. That's cool. One of the things that we've done, or really what we've done to find churches as we've been traveling is <laughs> just pull up Google and, and do a search <laughs> on, we always put in Protestant churches near mm-hmm. such and such place that we're at. Right. Um, and then, you know, whatever comes up, right. we've got about five to ten that we kind of, you know, there are always a few that you just kind of dismiss immediately for, for whatever reason. But then we'll kind of pull up a short list of maybe two, three, five churches. Right. And honestly, we go to the website and we just try as best as we can to get a feel of, of what is this place like? What's the culture? Um, but more importantly, like what's what's their stance on their delivery of the word of God? Right. So um, ultimately, the reason we chose to come to your church while we're here because we, we found that three main things were were pretty evident, you know, just simply from the, the website. website. Yeah. yeah, and it was uh, community yeah. with each other, um, focus on evangelism, mm-hmm. and then just a gospel-saturated message. Um, and so one of the things that I've really appreciated is you've been teaching through the book of Colossians, um, which is exactly what our church back home does as well, teaching through books through of the books, Bible right. as opposed to a topical or a thematic study. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear, is that the norm for you? Um, or is that just what <laughs> in terms of my preaching? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it is. Um, well, here's the way I... It, one pastor told it, said it to me this way. It's about, about once or twice a year you'll preach a... You need to preach a topical message, and then you repent of it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but I, I understand his point. I, my, in general, my belief is that sort of the, the the steady diet should be preaching through books. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there's not the occasional topical sermon that addresses a need sure. in in the community. Yeah. Um, and so, like for example, we I've been preaching through Colossians since October, but you know the the Sunday after the Paris attacks happened, I didn't preach on Colossians. Uh, you, you say, you know, I, I preached on what happened, yeah. right? Because that's the obvious elephant in the room, and you have to address it. So, but yeah, I, I agree though. The steady diet, and the, my my reasoning is simple. It, it, there would be certain sermons that would never be preached if I was just preaching what I wanted. Yeah. You know, and so I. But it's not my job to preach my advice on life. <laughs> it's my it's my job to present the full counsel of yeah. God. And so, um, so yeah, Colossians for me. The reason I picked Col- I did. I guess I picked the book, but <laughs> I did pick Colossians because uh, it's my first time as a pastor, and so it, Colossians is a much easier book to preach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very manageable. It's not you know it's four chapters, so you can do it in a decent amount of time but it, it's also a good book for basic christian doctrine mm. you know mm. the the centrality of christ the the great mystery it says christ in you the hope of glory that because of what jesus has done he's tabernacled in us. he lives inside of us and that the way we live our life it's not the legalism it's not i feel like i have to follow a set of rules no you're just following the christ that lives in you mm. you know and letting him shine and letting him live so um 
trying to trying to get that into my church that it's the the way we live our motivations matter it's not just the outward things it's that christ is living in us and and he does that through what he did on the cross his resurrection and we and and through our uh, him working in us and our faith so um so yes it is it is a i hope it will be a norm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah. We just a few months ago finished going through the Book of Romans. I think it took us about fifteen months. Yeah. I'm doing I'm doing Romans in my Bible study with the young adults. Are you? Okay. Yeah, we're in. We we finished Romans nine last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard that uh, John Piper went through it in like eight oh. years or yeah. something. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Well, this is a Bible study, not preaching. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I yeah, I can see how it take that long. And that you know that is one of my challenges because, I, you know, that may be a little bit long to be focused on one book because it's it's, you know, if if you're all the time in Paul, yeah. when, then where is the, are you preaching Old Testament also, and are you preaching the Gospels? And so, you sort of my my general thought on it is is that you try to. You preach sort of like a nine-week thing, and then you take a break. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I'm preaching through John, I'll preach nine weeks. Mm-hmm. Then I'll, you know, do something else for a couple of sermons and come back. Yeah. And so we did that at Colossians, actually. And during Christmas time, we did Christmas sermons. Yeah. And then yeah. we came back to Colossians. So, um, you got to sing away in the manger. Yeah, yeah. Hark the Herald. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you mentioned, um, obviously, yes, um, it, it takes the form of a very international church just by way of, of the people and, and where yeah. they come from. Um, any church could call themselves an international church, right? right. But, but you very much are so. And uh, you mentioned... That well, and that's interesting because we used to be called Emmanuel Baptist Church. Oh, okay. And they added the international about 10 years ago. Really? And... It was more something we noticed than something we aspired to be. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it, you know what I mean? Like, it, it wasn't like we want to become this. It's yeah. just that we were that. Like, okay. if that had happened. A recognition. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, and yeah, knowing that that's who's coming, yeah. it made yeah. sense to change the name yeah. uh, to, to welcome more people like yeah. that. So Now, do you think that that's uh, a product of being an English-speaking church, yes. a predominantly French-speaking world? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, English is the international language, um, and there's going to be people who move to France that don't speak French, yeah. and probably they're going to speak English. Mm-hmm. So we have the opportunity of reaching those kind of people. And Paris, again, it's a mover and shaker city. It's the center of the arts. It's the center. It's the center of business in France, and one of the leading places in Europe. And so these highly successful people from around the world. Move here, yeah. You know the best and the brightest, and so um, they often, if they don't speak French, they're going to speak English. And so we we have the we're in a u- unique position to reach people from all over the world because God's bringing them to us. Yeah. So you know, you know, when I was at America, we used to take a lot of mission trips, and we do our support raising and raise two to three thousand dollars and go overseas to reach these kind of people. Well, our church has the benefit of those people coming to us. <laughs> That's amazing. You, you know, and, and so it's uh, it's a unique unique opportunity. It really is. What are the biggest benefits of having such a diverse makeup like you have in your church? Yeah. Um, every culture has their blind spots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny because like you, you, in America right now, it's, it seems when I look on websites and hear the popular preachers, 
people have a lot of respect for, but often there's sort of this bashing of American Christianity. And what they're doing is they're noticing the blind spots in American Christianity. Hmm. But it's also true that all these other cultures have blind spots huh. in different places. Yeah. And so every culture has their things that are more their culture than gospel that they think is gospel. Okay. You, you understand? Sure. And so one of the benefits of an international church is that it helps cut away the dross. You know, it cut away the things that aren't gospel in my in my mind mm. that are, and you get to see, oh, that's not gospel. That's my culture, um, because the, you, you're interacting with other people and, and you're you're iron sharpening iron. Okay, you see, and yeah. so um, I think that's a huge benefit. Uh, what have for, you found are those those things that are mostly American versus Christian since you've been here? Oh man, that. Uh, that's really hard. To, it's, it's really hard to just put my finger on that one because, it, like, when I go home, I see how different I am. From like, I have friends that I went to seminary and school with that are pastors that I, I know are men of God. I, they know God's word. I look people I look up to. Yeah. But we have really different ways of seeing things after I've lived here. Okay. You know, and I, and I can't. It's, I, that's a hard question. I can't. I'm trying to think of hard some examples. Exactly yeah, right. I try to think of examples, but it's just I've, I've seen things, you know, from different perspectives, and I, I haven't changed like anything drastic. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like the the core doctrines and the core, the gospel has not changed, but you know, seeing things from other perspectives has uh, affected. I guess affected sort of. I, it's not that I see less; I see more. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and it's only because that I've these people in my church have helped me see more. Mm. You know, sure. Yeah, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier too that um, it's easy to think that having all these different cultures would mean that there's a lot of fighting, arguing, right. or whatever. But that that hasn't been what you've observed. No, no, no. I think yeah, it, it's sort of true that when you're in our church. You realize that the people sitting around you are probably nothing like you. Mm. And I think because you know that you're different from that person and that person knows they're different from you, there's just more patience (laughs) entering into the relationship. You understand you don't understand each other, you know, and so you're willing to learn. Everybody's much more quick to learn, to listen. Um, Whereas, you know, when, when everybody in the church is from the same culture, there's a little bit of you do kind of know what each other's thinking, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean, and and sometimes that's not good. Sometimes it, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes that causes fights, and sometimes it causes you're, you're less it, you're less patient at the very least. Sure. Um, and so, um, and you have in, added on to it is the cultural expectations, the things that may not be gospel, you know, that you're assuming about other people. Uh, we all have this tendency, this legalistic tendency, to sort of Creator on law, ah. and then hold other people to the standards that we've created. Yeah, okay. and that's a nor. Every culture does that. You know, this is not me bashing any. I, every person does it, even. Um, but it it becomes less uh, less feasible in an international church. Hmm. Well, I know there are two sides to every story. So, what are the difficulties that have presented themselves by being such an international church? Well, for for me, at, well, one is it's harder to create community. Okay. Um, it is. It it takes sacrifice to sit there and talk to someone you just have no interest in. Hmm. 
Uh, like, I mean, because you can't relate to them at all. Right. You know, you're like, you're just, there, there are those people that they're just so different and it takes a discipline and everybody doesn't have that discipline. <laughs> you know, if it takes a certain Christian maturity, you know, to sit through some, you know, someone's broken English to finally get one sentence out. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, because if you're, if you're not coming into the church thinking, what can I give? If you're thinking what I'm getting out of it. You may you may leave the church quickly, you know, because you may not. And we have, for example, in Sunday school, um, we our Sunday school has gotten overrun by Filipino women, right? I say overrun. We're happy the Filipino women want to go to Sunday school, but because the Filipino women go to Sunday school, no one else wants to go to Sunday school hmm. because it turns into a very Filipino woman discussion. You, you understand what I'm saying? And yeah. so they yeah. cry every week, <laughs> you, you know, like, you know, just very, it turns into very emotional. And so like for the expat American male who, who's, who sits into this class, he's probably, you know, unless he's just really like, I'm doing this for the gospel, he's not going to want to come back to it. Yeah, you, you know, and so he's thinking he's sitting in on an episode of Oprah. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it, and so it becomes, um, it 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 requires a discipline, right? You have to be yeah. willing to sacrifice your own desires, your own comfort level, in order to encourage. So while I think there's a, there's more good than bad, it does require sacrifice. Yeah, um, see that. Yeah. Well, how do you think, other than the obvious, right, how do you think that your church and maybe most churches in France are different from churches in America? What are the obvious? It's hard for me to say because, like, if you're, when you say, like, comparing it to America, again, I I think more in terms of city rural than I do America, France. Um, because I think maybe our church would have a lot in common with a church in New York, okay, right, or a, a church in London, or a church in L.A. You know, places these multicultural places, these big cities. So I think, um, in terms of the international flavor and the the need to to do that, I would say that in terms of comparing it to my background in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of France and America, I think one difference is um, French background is mostly Catholic. Yeah. And so in sort of the church government structure, uh, you know, a lot of things are funded by Rome. And the average churchgoer doesn't really feel the responsibility in maintaining the church because mm-hmm. it's not their responsibility to do so. Right. Coming from an American background, which is much more Protestant, um, and the and generally the autonomy of the local church is a big thing. There's this tradition, this understanding that if the church is going to keep going, it's going to be the congregation that causes it to keep going. Is the 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 budget for the church is going to come from the giving and the offering plate. The um, you know the children's ministry is going to be run by people volunteering to teach Sunday school. You know, like there's that understanding, whereas here there's it's been a difficult process helping them to understand that Mm. if you don't give the church is going to fold, you know, like, you know, if if you don't volunteer for the children's ministry, 
we're not going to have a children's ministry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, and so that kind of thing, um, because we've had a lot of Americans in the past, there's a history in our church of that. Okay. Right. But now that there's less Americans, um, it, it it becomes more of a challenge. And it's it's not it's not that Americans are better. It's just that they have that they're used to it. Yeah. You know, it's it's from their past. It's called yeah the cultural understanding of the type of church we are, the way we're structured. Yeah. We're a Baptist church. We believe in the autonomy of the local church, and so. Um, we have to do things ourselves. <laughs> what have those yeah. conversations been like? Because I, I know that conversations about you know money or serving can always be a little bit awkward. So has it been that way here? How do you even breach the subject? I, you know, I haven't. Like, I, I mean, I haven't been pastor long enough. I haven't. I haven't preached a sermon, for example, on on stewardship. Okay. Um, Though we we did have an appeal because when I took over as pastor, the church was thirty six thousand euros in the red for the year. Oh wow! And so we did have to say, look, you know, if we're going to continue to operate, <laughs> this has to change. And so um, we did make an appeal, um, and it had some success. But the problem, you know, again, the people that it had success with are the poor people. And so the poor people really—it was just—it was amazing to watch what God was doing in their life because they, I mean, they began to plan and sacrifice mm. and wow. put extra money behind in order wow. to give. But you know what they gave didn't even put a dent in it sure. because they didn't have the means to put a dent in it. And so it's just beautiful to see what's happening in these people's lives, right? An understanding of the gospel, right. but you, you still but need all members of your that, that being said, though, there are people in the church. Who are rich, <laughs> you know, and they could have given and they didn't, you know. Yeah. So, so there's just not that same sort of mentality. But again, I mentioned to you the, you know, the, our alumni base, and so we did get some sort of exceptional giving for them. And at, you know, by the end of the year, we were 16 in the red. So if you put the positive spin on it, we had <laughs> we were 20 in the black in the yeah. in the fall. Yeah, you know. So, um, yeah. but still better than the U.S. government. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> But well, you did mention, though, um, with serving, that yeah. some of the Americans, you said, were really great examples to... Right, Americans. yeah. We, um, the previous... For, I'll just use the children's ministry, for example. Um, the children's ministry was run by the previous pastor's wife, and she left. <laughs> Went, decided to go home with her husband. I don't know what she was thinking, but... <laughs> She didn't even think about our children's ministry. But, <laughs> um, so uh, she did a good job before she left of trying to pass it off. And so she passed it off to a one from Malaysia and one from France. And the one from Malaysia ended up leaving the church. And then we had the girl from France who was doing a good job. Like she, you know, she has a child as well. And so she's a single mom. And she was really doing her best. But it was overwhelming because she was having a hard time getting the volunteers to teach. Um, but we did, in the meantime, we got an, an American family who moved here and from Indiana, and they have just been lifesavers. And, but now this, the wife here, she's not, she's gifted in children's, like she, Jill, Jill. Yeah, 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 Jill, she's, she's gifted. So like, it, it's not just any old American woman. Like this is a, 
This is someone who knows what she's doing good with children. She's a great mother. Like, I mean, just uh, really impressive lady. Um, and so she's jumped into this and really helped us. But, you know, I met with them a few a few weeks ago because there is a lot of frustration because, like, during – we have two services. And during the first service, it was – they had, like, a volunteer and then, like, a helper, like a teacher and a helper. And, like, 15 crazy kids. <laughs> and special Some special needs kids as well. And some of the special needs are actually – like, can hurt other kids. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So, like, there's one kid, for example, who just needs a worker by himself. Right? And so, it was just a madhouse, and it had been for a few weeks. Yeah. And so, we came together, and we said, okay, well, they presented it. And so, we, we made the suggestion of, because it, it's an odd group, too, three to eight. Oh, yeah. Ages three to eight. But we didn't have the volunteers to do more. Right. And it's weird. I, you know, where I come from, it's not a big deal. Like, it's normal for kids to go to big church. Yeah. It's not here. That's Most cultures here don't do that. And so they, they feel like there's a responsibility to have something for those age groups. And so I proposed, well, why don't we try to have three to five and then another for six to eight? Um, and they like the idea, but they are already having trouble with volunteers about yeah. having enough. And I said, well, it can't continue like it is. And they said, no. And so I said, okay. Well, there's either th- there's three options. One, because right now the volunteers, they, they volunteer for one Sunday a month. So one option is they need to volunteer for more Sundays and you have more workers in there. Two, you need to get more workers. Or three, we, we cut it. Hmm. Like maybe not cut the whole thing, but cut like I have only three to fives. Right? And so... These kind of options is what we have to deal with because there's less people serving and there's less commitment among those who serve. Mm -hmm. I say that, but there's a – we have that 10% of the church that does 90% of the work, right? And those people are – we have some amazing people uh, who do – who are those people. Mm -hmm. But – but you still have a large percentage of the church that are just not involved. And, you know, ideally what you want in a church, you want every member in Bible study and you want every member in ministry. Yeah. And we, we're wanting to move toward that. But frankly, right now we're, we're poor. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have very we have a nice Sunday morning. People come. We, we mostly fill up the thing. But you, very rare, rarely do people actually get involved in the Bible studies. Um, we're not doing very much missions right now. And, again, it's... There's hopefully plans and places to change that, right? But but right now it's a struggle, and, and it's difficult when it's so transient. And by the time people get comfortable in the church, they leave. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. Well, what what is a typical French, like a secular French person's view on Christianity? I know that's a very loaded question with a lot of generalities, but what would a typical French think of Christianity? Um. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is a it's a very general thing, but I most people haven't thought about it very much. Mm. Like a, they may have certain stereotypes they hear from the media, and they may think it's an American thing. They may have some like a cold Catholic church in their brain or whatever. But the reality is, is that any kind of religious thought is just absent. Yeah, um, they're they're sort of taught from 
in school that reason is different than faith okay. and that, you know, sort of, there's no sort of thought behind it. Like, you know, it, it's almost like when you look in the pagan world before Christianity and, you know, the it's a lot of superstitions. You got Greek gods and you have these priests for these gods and all these kind of things. And But they're not philosophers. Oh, yeah. You know what? They're doing rituals and all these kind of things, but they're not philosophers. Um, whereas, like, when you have the Aristotles and all these things where they may have this abstract idea of the unmoved mover, hmm. you know, but, but it, they're not religious. Yeah. yeah. And so it was really Christianity was the first time where the priests were debating with the philosophers. You see? And, the, and it became reasonable. And it's like the, it, and theology kind of became a thing. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, in a lot of ways, the French idea of religion is primitive. Wow. You wow. see what I'm saying? Like, they, they just, they haven't learned that there's a reason behind it. And so, they, their sort of idea of God, their, their thoughts about God have not progressed beyond does he exist or not. Okay. Mostly, yeah. I mean, it's weird. I'm thinking very generally here because John Calvin was French. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot. There's a great history of theology in France, but if you're talking about today, the average, you know, you know, twenty to thirty year old that you meet in the road, they probably thought very little um, about about God. Hmm. It's starting to change. Um, the Maybe was few. Maybe last year, Channel Two in France, which is a national channel, it's on everywhere in France. They did maybe a fifteen-minute documentary as part of a news show about the fastest-growing religion in France, les Églises évangéliques, the evangelical churches. Wow! Right, and it was positive. Like it wasn't like you know in America you would expect some yeah. kind of poking fun or yeah. you, you know what I mean. Uh, this was positive. Wow. And it was really interesting because they had this French guy, young church planter, you know, the typical, you know, hip church planter in his 30s, you know. Yeah. And he was and he was interview. he was looking at a, um, it was in an office building, you know, not much bigger than this room. And um, and the, the reporter was astonished because this guy was saying, we can do our church here, you know. This is a room where we can yeah. do church, mm-hmm. you know, and he's in his idea of church is, of course, Notre Dame and the big Catholic, you know, trophies from the past. And he's saying, no, the church is the community and this room is as good as any. And and it's appealing to the French, especially in Paris, because, I mean, the the biggest need in Paris is community. People are lonely, hmm. you know, and the church is that. Yeah. And so what we often see, the success that happens is that they belong to the community before they believe. And so mm-hmm. um, we all the time, when our young adults group is really good about it, they have their friend from school or their co-worker who doesn't know, doesn't know anything about God and never thought about it. And they invite them with our young adults group to go to the movies or to go out to dinner or to come over here to play games or whatever. And they have a good time, and they're they're listened to, and they're talked to. Right. And so, by the time they actually visit the church, it's not weird anymore because they know everybody already. Yeah, you, you know, like it, it's a it's they fit right into the community. And so, they the aspect of community is what they want. It's what the church has, and what nobody else has. Yeah, you know, and so the um, 
you know that that has been the biggest draw. And I, I think when I when I say the negative things about our church not doing mission, I'll, on the other side, we're very good at hospitality. Mm. You know, when people walk in our doors, they're talked to, they're listened to, they're invited to they're invited to lunch, they feel welcomed, and so. That aspect we're doing very well, and we're growing because we're just doing that well. Hmm. You know, the the stereo, the kind of evangelical stereotype nowadays is, well, we have to go out to them because they're not coming to us. Well, <laughs> they're coming to us sometimes, <laughs> and it's you know it's exciting, right. you know. And if so, they watch TV, that's what you're giving them. That's what we're giving them, right? And and so it's uh yes, yeah, it's, it's an exciting thing to be a part of, and um, I'm really thankful we have some really good people in their church who are. You know, they're they're good cooks. They're, you know, they're they yeah. they like it. They, it's their joy to cook for people, to make people feel welcome. We have a lot of. I mean, it's just there. You've been there. You know that, yeah. that you can't leave without talking to somebody. Well, That's, we uh, yeah. we stayed after church this past Sunday for a lunch. It was cooked by someone who began preparing at four o'clock that morning, <laughs> and she does it what. Every other week. It's not just lunch. She has these desserts. Lunch. I mean, yeah, this is good. Yeah. And I will say that was the loudest room I've been in since I've been in France. Everyone was talking to each other. It's not yeah. like the trains where they're so quiet. People don't talk. No. So that was really nice just to have so many people in conversation. Right. And, and man, people in that room were from all over the world. We couldn't get over that. That even though there were so many differences, like you're all at that table together and you're all brothers. Oh, yeah. Christ. Oh, yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I want to get yeah. a few insider tips. It's, okay. So, first is, if someone is going to come to Paris, what is the one food they must eat? Ooh. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess the stereotype is the like a crepe. Um, you know, and... There are better, there are good places and there are bad places, I guess, for that. But if you get a good one, uh, those can be really good. Uh, maybe the best dish, though, it's going to be hard for you to get in a restaurant. Get you to be invited to a French person's house, but um, it's called raclette. Oh, we had that in Switzerland. All right. Yeah. So the Swiss say they invented it, and the French say they invented it. But uh, <laughs> you know, but, it, but raclette is a type of cheese. But the way the French do it is they have sort of like a. Um, it's almost like a little toaster oven that they put on. The, did y'all do this in Switzerland? It was just brought out to us. We don't know how they prepare okay, it. Okay, so it is different. Um, there's a little toaster oven that they put on the table. And it, it's like mini, almost little pizza pan kind of things that are shaped like a pizza slice. Okay. And you'll put, you, you, there'll be toppings and you'll put whatever you want into it. You'll be ham and different vegetables and, you know, wow. and potatoes and then you'll put the cheese on it, and you'll put it into the toaster oven, and it, the cheese will just melt down over all of it. And then you then you take it out and break oh. it on your plate and put another one in. That's and so, like a glorified easy bake oven. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, don't tell the French that, but <laughs> but it's delicious. The cheese is very good. It's pro- the cheese is the same as what you had in okay. in Switzerland. But, but the way they do but it, the way they do it, it's a whole event. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a lot of times it's done in the winter. It's a really nice winter meal. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really good, and, and of course the wine that goes with it. Yeah. So, uh, so what type of wine would typically be served with it? Uh, you know, I'm not a wine expert, but I do know that generally the the cheese and the wine ought to come from the same region. Okay. And so, um, that's cool. Raclette cheese would be sort of 
eastern France, and so it'd be a wine from from that area, from maybe Alcos? possibly. Yeah. I'm not sure. Now there is there is a man in our French guy in our church who owns a wine tasting uh, school. Wow, he's like a trainer of the trainers, like he's an expert, and he he, he also owns a uh, a vineyard cool. uh, in Angers. So he is the expert. So if you come back on Sunday, you can ask him all the wine questions. That's awesome. All right, so Raclette. And um, you go to his house for dinner, you get you get good wine. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. You might have to get his contact. I know, that. right? <laughs> so top insider spot or best kept secret in Paris, you know, away from the tourist traps. Oh, man. Well, what what do you mean? Do you mean like mm, I an attraction or like a restaurant or like a bar or Maybe a coffee like shop? Your favorite place to go that's off the beaten path. Yeah. It's not like overrun with tourists. All right, I'll give you two. What's a coffee shop? It's called the Cafe Tech. It's near Pont Marie. It's not too far from the Hotel de Ville. Um, and the story behind that was there is a man who was from the uh, Colombian, uh, some South American embassy. He worked; at, he was an ambassador, and he uh, got frustrated because there was no good coffee in Paris. This is the story I heard. I didn't talk to the guy. He, no good coffee in Paris, so he quit and started the cafe. And he imports coffee from all over the world. Wow! Um, it's really nice ambiance. So very good coffee there, Cafe Otec. It's in like the magazines, so I say it's off the beaten path, but they, now it's gotten more popular. Um, I'll give you a restaurant next. A restaurant, Jewish restaurant. Mm. The best falafel in the world is in Paris. Um, it's in the Jewish Quarter near St. Paul. It's called La de Falafel, L apostrophe A S de Falafel. Hmm. And I, I've been to Israel, and I've never had a falafel as good as that falafel I had there. So, nice. And it's, you know, it's also, you know, I think it's like six euros or something, so it's not like an expensive meal. So wow. Very good. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and then there is a bar that I like that I don't even know the name of it because <laughs> it's, a, it's a secret bar. Like, it's meant to be like, like a 1920s... Like uh, during prohibition, you know, like where they're going to hide it. Yeah. yeah. So what you actually do is you walk into it's a pizza place, like it's an actual pizza restaurant. But if you walk through the pizza restaurant and go into their closet and go through their closet and open another door, you're in a bar. That is cool. Yeah. And so <laughs> and so it's like a it's, it's like a 1920s kind of decor and everything and uh, yeah so. And they have the sort of the manly cock, like the whiskey cocktails, if you like yeah. that. So, so, it's a, so it's a it's a really cool place. I feel like yeah. I'm a gangster when I go in. So. Okay. I kind of like to go like get a, get like a full suit or I just yeah. uh, that's just, awesome. Just to hold my old fashioned and tell people they can walk in. You need a pass oh man! Yeah. So if you want to blend in and not stand out as a tourist, what's the one thing you should not do? Don't run around saying roll tide. <laughs> <laughs> that will not be a uh, Baseball caps. That's a dead giveaway. I still wear them, but um, baseball caps is a dead giveaway for a guy. Um, I don't know about For girls, French girls really dress up every time they leave the house. 
So, like, if you you know if you have this kind of American girl who, you know, wore pajamas to class, <laughs> don't do <laughs> that. Don't in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> you have hair here, so you can get away with doing nothing to your hair. Oh, uh, fair enough. Yeah. I guess it's the wind, but when I actually do my hair, I'm the only one. I see <laughs> well, there you go. All right, no baseball caps and don't wear pajamas. That's yeah, tennis shoes also. There's a, mm-hmm. yeah, they see that. you stand out. So uh, just wrapping up, I'd love for you to share with us how can we pray for you specifically, how can we pray for your church, and then how should we pray for France as a nation? Yeah, um, well obviously I've, I've been a pastor now for a little, well, I guess about seven months, so I do feel a little in over my head, <laughs> I guess, I mean, and so um, I'm just 34, and I'm also not really from here. <laughs> and so I, a lot of times I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, so I don't tell my church that. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I feel like there's, you know, I, I'm trusting the Lord with it. I feel like if he's called me to here, that he's going to take care of me. But at the same time, there's many situations I face that I feel woefully unable to handle. Right. <laughs> you know, so... Um, not being discouraged in that. I'm, I'm terrible at administration. I, I feel quite comfortable preaching and teaching and, and those kind of things. And I'm just, but when I, the never ending stream of emails stresses me out. And oh, so, and, and so, um, so, you know, those aspects of the job it, that I would persevere and, and not get discouraged and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, for our church right now, we're looking for an associate pastor. Um, we just started the search committee. Uh, recently, and so we've got several good candidates, and so, but just praying that God, we only get one, <laughs> and so uh, in the past we've had two other ones, and so um, I think it's very important, right? So far since I've become pastor, I've just been kind of getting through the day to day, yeah. And there's been very little kind of being able to set a vision because there's been so many other things, but also getting this other stuff in. We're also actually looking at a third position. Uh, that would actually be self-funded. Uh, and so someone would raise their support to come. And so we're actually talking with a couple that might come. We, we would create the position of missions pastor. Oh, wow. So they would be a missionary. They would just be doing missions through our church. Yeah. And so like several of the ideas I have, like I would, there's a French high school next to our church. I would love to start like tutoring for their English a ministry like that. Nice. Yeah. Um, we don't have the manpower for it, but if we had some of somebody in, we could do stuff like that to the expat uh, people who move here to have French classes for them, uh, especially these sort of expat wives. Yeah. They, the hus- they came here because of their husband's job, and they have their days free, and you know, so thinking along those lines, and um, and again, the unreached people groups that are all around us, mm. we need to develop some sort of vision for that. Um, and then church planting. We, um, you see the location of our church. It's very impractical. Sure. Um, I think we could have a quite a large church, actually, if we were in the town, mm-hmm. um, if it was practical for public. And so what I would like us to do in the, maybe not the next year, but in the coming years, is to try to plant a church in Paris, either a completely new church or a second campus of our church, um, to try to reach that demographic if, if we were on a metro line it would change life yeah. so so, uh, so those kind of projects they're they're just ideas right now but yeah. but i think they're they're ideas because they're needs 
Mm. Right? And, and so we pray that God would move us into mission, that we could get behind it. I think we'd have the means to do it, <laughs> right. you know, and that he would, uh, he, would, he would do it in such a way that he gets the glory. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And for France in general. Yeah, I mean, for France, it, again, my heart is Paris. The, um, I, I, be, I believe that I have, a, I have an optimistic view. Um, there is your Tim Keller guy. Uh, Tim Keller wrote an article talking. He, he used the term post-Christian. Um, it's a helpful term when we're talking about cultures. It's not helpful talking about individuals, but it's helpful talking about cultures. So the, there, there was a time when France was Christian yeah. or Christendom at least, and now we're post that. And in America, we're kind of posted as well. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, right. And so he uses the seasons. And so, like, a, uh, winter would be the time never heard the gospel before. Mm. Spring would be the the revival starting. Summer would be the Christendom. Maybe maybe Alabama and Tennessee might be a little bit in the summer still, where it's a big part of the culture, right? Yeah. Um, and then the fall would be more like what you see in Europe, maybe what you see in, in New England. Yeah. You, you know, these kind of Big places in America, in right? Where, yes, it used to be Christian, but not anymore. And it's kind of seen badly. Well, if I were to ask about France, I would say France has been so far in the fall that we're back to the winter again. Okay. Because there, it's almost like there's a new blank slate. Because there's so much ignorance <laughs> regarding anything religious that there's, yes, there's Christian influences in the way they think. I can tell. They can't tell, though. Right. The way they think about right and wrong still comes from a, from a Christian worldview as opposed to like a sort of an Asian background. Yeah. Even though they don't know it. But they don't know it. Right. They, they don't know it. The, but they have this idea of right and wrong and justice and guilt and shame. and I mean, uh, you know, so, uh, but they, they just don't recognize it in themselves. They're in the winter. Hmm. Um, and I think my belief is is that after the winter comes the spring. Hmm. You know, I, I do believe that it can happen again. And I think we're seeing it happen again. Uh, it's slow. Sure. It's slow. But as more Christians move into Paris, as more churches are being planted, there's more opportunity. It becomes infectious. And it's more likely that a person in Paris knows a Christian now than it was 10 years ago. Wow, cool. You know what I'm saying? And so and so it's going to continue it's going to continue to grow. Someone asked me what does Paris need the most? Uh, more Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily more missionaries. Just more Christians. Just more Christians. Do life. Yeah. Talk to people. Yeah. People. There's several good pastors here, several good churches here, but they're weak. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't have many resources and they, you know, it, the church that I went to in Alabama, there's so many families that a church planner here would give their right arm for. Mm. You know, just the family who is going to tithe regularly and going to serve, and they're going to they're going to be supportive of what the pastor is doing. Those those kinds of people are worth gold mm. um, in a place like this. But it, it just takes people being willing to intentionally move into the city, yeah. you know, and, 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 and live out the gospel. Um, so what are you saying is that if, if you live in America right now, I mean, you've, you've got a job, you've got a family, 
you you want to have a world type vision of the gospel, but you don't necessarily feel called to be a missionary to be a pastor. Yep. One of the greatest things you can do is move to a city in Europe and, and just do life, do all the things that you do already, and, and have just, a big impact. Just go somewhere and be intentional about being a Christian. Hmm. You know, you know. It, I mean, yeah, we always got room for more missionaries, but you know, it's it's um, the normal Christian life, the 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 businessman at La Défense who 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 does his work to the glory of God. Wow. You, you know, the the teacher. You know, at these at these little elementary schools, who who hmm. who the children can tell there's something different about. Hmm. Like those people can have can and do have a big influence here, um, because the gospel meets the need of these people. Yeah, like That's right. <laughs> it, they need it. They need it, and the gospel meets it. And so, um, hmm. yeah, that's awesome. Parker, thanks a lot yeah. for taking the time with us. I think this is really valuable for us to hear. Um, I know it'll be really valuable for, for others that we know to hear as well. And okay. just want to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing because uh, I know that, that there are times where it can feel like an absolute autumn or a winter, even in the church. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I want you to be encouraged. Uh, I can tell that you just really have a gift, not just a heart for it, but a gift for communicating across cultures as well as across generations. And mm. uh, we've been blessed to be able to come to your church even for the short time that we're here. Well, thanks. You guys have been a blessing to us. I need to come back.